Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. We are in the book, continuing in the book of Galatians. Did I get my right eyeballs on here? Oh, so I can see you. If you've got your Bibles, I'd, I'd ask you to turn to there now. You know, Paul has been, been kind of bringing the Galatian churches to task on an issue that is in the church. They've left behind faith in Christ, and they are following what is, can only be termed as another gospel. The, the Judaizers have come from uh, Jerusalem, and they are having an influence on the church. And the, the Judaizers had a rather prolific influence on the early church. If we were to look at uh, the different places in Scripture where Paul addresses it, we know that obviously in the book of Galatians, Paul is addressing the Judaizers. He also addresses them in Titus, in 1 Timothy, and in the book of Acts, we can see that the Judaizers are also there and they are causing issues. And, and I would argue that even today... Now, we don't have Judaizers going around telling people they need to be circumcised. But I think we do have a problem in the church today that another gospel is being preached. And we're going to address that. Uh, If you come to my Sunday school class, we are in the process of addressing some of those other gospels that are being preached out there. But, you know, humans are um, actually pretty foolish at times, you know, and, and the, the Internet is full of pictures of foolish uh, things that humans do, and, and I want to show you just a couple of them. Uh, can you tell me what's wrong with that picture? Go to the next one. Go to the next picture. There one. Uh, you see there, 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 he's working on electricity and his feet are in water. No, Jeff, you would not even do that, I don't think. Next one. Uh, What do you think will happen when they have to stop real quick? And last one. Uh, I don't like ladders anyways, but if you ask me to do that, do you see what he's doing? He's only got the back of the ladder on the edge and the rest of the ladder is hanging out over an open spot. We are foolish people. We do foolish things. And the Galatian church was doing something extremely foolish. They were trying to finish out their Christian walk by their own strength. Not a good idea. And this is what troubled Paul so much. But I have to wonder, at times, are we any better? Do we not at times try to to mold the gospel to say what we want it to say because that's what our tickling ears want to hear? Do we not want what we want instead of what God wants? So Paul addresses this to them. He's going to ask the churches in Galatia some very important rhetorical questions. He's not expecting them to write back with answers because he knows the answers. But he wants them to think, to rethink, to engage their brains because that's not what they are doing. And I think we need to ask ourselves these same questions. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Galatians 3. I'm going to ask that you stand as we read God's Word. 
And this is what Apostle Paul writes. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have you begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Father, bless your word. May it never return void. Amen. Go and have a seat. It might seem again that Paul is being rather mean. I mean, he's calling them fools. I mean, I don't know of anybody here in this room who likes to be called a fool. But what he's telling them when he says that the term for foolish in Greek actually has more of a connotation of you're not using your mind. You know, I, I get after Caleb sometimes because I don't think he uses his mind. Of course, I always have to remember he's going to be soon be a 12-year-old boy, and 12-year-old boys never, well, very seldom engage their brain. And unfortunately, I know some of us, 52-year-old men have a tendency sometimes not to engage our brain. But he's telling them, you're foolish, you're not thinking, you're not remembering, you're not using your mind. And he wonders if someone has put a spell on them. And I don't think he truly believes that you know, some witches came along and cast a spell over him. But I think what he, what he means by that is the fact that you know, the, the Judaizers are coming in and they're telling them things and they're saying it in such a way that it sounds good. How does, how does Satan appear? How does Satan appear? As a what? Angel of light. He's not going to come in a room and say, hey, I'm the devil. I'm here to destroy you, so listen to everything I say. He comes in thinking that it's something good. And I think that's the problem today in the church because the things are coming into the church that, oh, they sound good and they have all the arguments, but if you really research them, they're not good, and they're not what they think they are. But Paul is saying he's wondering if somebody's put a spell on them. They're perverting and confusing the gospel. I mean, what the, what the Galatians are trying to do is simply unthinkable to Paul. And it should be unthinkable to us that we should vary any way away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're contemplating getting circumcised. No adult male in his right mind would do that willingly. And to finish their Christian race by the works of their flesh instead of by grace. So Paul's going to remind them, first of all, he's going to tell them that he's running that, that, that before their very eyes, Christ was portrayed as crucified. Now, he, he, he does not mean that they were at the cross and they saw that they saw Jesus crucified. What he means is, the key word there is portrayed. 
What he means is that they saw Jesus, the result of Jesus' crucifixion in Paul. You see, that's why it's so important for us today that we live lives that reflect Christ. Because, believe me, people are going to see you. And they're going to know there's something different. At least they should. And I, kind of, you know, I have to ask myself every day, am I portraying Christ crucified in my life? Well, Paul was. And they could see it. They, were, they experienced Christ in Paul. Remember what Paul said back in verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's saying, you don't, when you see me, you don't see me. You see Jesus. And that's the way we should be too. People should not see me. Well, they'll, they'll see me when they see me, but they, after they spend some time with me, they're like, hmm, there's something more here. That must be Jesus. It has to be Jesus. He's emphasizing this importance, though, that the cross was so important to our salvation. If not for the cross, not only would we not be justified before God, but without the cross, there would be no Holy Spirit. We only have the Holy Spirit because our sins are forgiven. When Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross, that opened the door for God to give us the Holy Spirit. He doesn't, God does not give the Holy Spirit to be filled in non-believers. Now, he may, he may, I'll be honest with you, I do believe the Holy Spirit does go and bug non-believers. He calls them. I'm not saying that they don't interact with the Holy Spirit without knowing about it. What I am saying is, a person who does not believe, doesn't truly believe in Jesus Christ, cannot say they have the Holy Spirit. Because in order to have the Holy Spirit, you must believe in Jesus Christ. Paul's emphasizing this fact that we have salvation. That's what gives us the Holy Spirit. The blood of Christ allows the Holy Spirit to enter our lives. See, the Holy Spirit will never do an end run around the cross. The cross of Christ opens the door. And then Paul will ask them, so he's reminding them of the importance of salvation. Then he's going to ask them, do you... (laughs) He asked them this very important question. He said, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive it by the law? Or did you receive it by the faith? What was their experience? What is your experience? How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did it come because you were obeying the Ten Commandments? One day you, you, know, you finally checked the last one off and boop, got the Holy Spirit. No. You got the Holy Spirit when you believed in fully, truly believed in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't fully, truly believed in Jesus Christ, you may not have the Holy Spirit. I can't, I, you know, there's no test to give you. That's something you need to work out. Have I, have I truly believed in Jesus Christ? He's trying to get them to remember that point where they experienced the grace of God. 
the works of the flesh, which in this point is circumcision, could not be pivotal to them receiving the Holy Spirit. If it was, then how did they experience it when they didn't have the works of the flesh? They didn't have circumcision. So did they experience it? Was that something? Was that false? Was it fake? Was it emotion? Paul said, no, you received it when you believed. The cross of Christ and the, forgiveness of our, is, and, the, and the forgiveness of our sins is the door that opens us up for, for the Holy Spirit to enter our sinful lives. Does it just happen or do we have to do something to allow it to happen? And there's this whole discussion. Believe me, I've been doing a lot of research on this and reading about this and watching videos on this whole idea. Do we do anything? And that's the problem, that wording there. Do we do any work? That gives us salvation. Well, no. Scripture tells us. It's by grace you have been saved through faith, not any works of our own, so we can't boast. But then we get this argument of, well, you believe, right? Well, yeah. Well, that's a work. No, I'm sorry, it's not. (laughs) Belief is not a work. It's what we do. It's a response. It's not something we do physically with our bodies. But we have to allow God to enter our lives. That's called free will. God will not force himself on anyone. As I was thinking about that statement, I was thinking of the book of Revelation. In Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me me. It does not say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you don't answer, I'm going to kick it in and we're going to eat together whether you like it or not. That's not what it says. It says, if he hears my voice and opens the door. So we must open the door. It's a, it's a, it's called provision. God has made the provision. He, his, he does all the work for salvation. All we have to do is open the door and answer the door. And the Holy Spirit will enter our lives. He does not force himself on anyone. So the Galatian churches, they received the Holy Spirit as we do so today when they heard the gospel and they believed. It kind of brings to my mind the account of Peter. When Peter goes and he shares the gospel with the whole household of Cornelius in Acts 10, Starting with verse 44, it says, While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Peter is just standing there talking, telling them about the gospel. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit does his thing that he does so well. He, he comes upon the people who are hearing it. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. The gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. Because the Gentiles were believing. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for many days. 
See, it was hearing the gospel and believing in that gospel and in Jesus Christ. That's what it was that caused the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the home and on the people who lived and were there in Cornelius' house. Hearing and believing is how the church in Galatia heard and received the Holy Spirit. And guess what? That's how we do it today. We hear and we believe and we receive the Holy Spirit. Now we can be engaged in numerous church activities. We can, and just because you know we're involved in church doesn't mean we've heard, doesn't mean we've believed. But if if hearing the gospel and if believing in Jesus Christ is not at the core of who we are, then all we're doing is busy work. Or it looks good. We're making an impact. Helping people's lives, which we should do, no doubt. But the gospel and our belief in Jesus Christ must be at the core So why is it so important to have the Holy Spirit? Paul answers that in Romans. That's one reason why I think early on in his discussion with the Galatians about how foolish they are, that's why Paul brought up, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Was it by works? Or was it by by faith? But in Romans 8 he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. He had just talked to them about what it meant to be in the flesh, the the evils of the flesh. He's telling them that that's not you. When you believe in Christ, you give up the flesh. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, tabernacles with you is the word there. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Not your righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, we, we look at the world and we think that people who, who, are, who are successful in this world, who have no faith at all, who, who have faith only in themselves and in the evils of this world, we think, boy, that's the life. No, that's not the life. Because you, you only see what you think you want to see or what they want you to see. That life is not a bed of roses. It's full of strife. A true life is a life spent with Christ leading you, guiding you, teaching you. You surrendering to him daily and struggling. Paul goes on and and next he talks to them about, the next question is if, if you began with the Spirit, which they did, is it the flesh that is now perfecting your walk? Are you being perfected by what you do? If you follow the law, does it perfect you? God giving us the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time thing and we're done. 
The Holy Spirit works in and through our lives in response to our faith. This is what's called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in, and he doesn't just put his feet up on my desk and just, just go about his time in me, waiting for me you know, to call on him. No, he perfects me. He teaches me. He leads me. If I surrender, if I listen to him, he's, he, he tells me what I should and what I shouldn't do. He comforts me. He helps me. He helps you. It's an ongoing process in our lives, and it's what's called sanctification. And guess what? We will be doing that from the day that we believe till the day that we die. Nobody has been a Christian long enough to say, I've learned everything God could tell me. And we'll talk more about walking in the Spirit when we get to Galatians 5, but when we hear the gospel and we respond in faith, God pours His Spirit into us. It's when we submit to God, we allow the Holy Spirit freedom to occupy every part of our lives, controlling and guiding us in our lives, so that what we do is faithful to God. But this isn't just about our outward actions either, because it also includes our thoughts and our motives behind those actions. That's why it tells us to take every thought captive. That's something I'm trying to teach Caleb and Abigail right now. Man, they're still young. They will just blurt stuff out. And I'm like, that's a thought you need to take captive. Unfortunately, in my 54 years, I'm still struggling to take every thought captive. Because some of my thoughts are real selfish and they feel really good. But I have to take that captive. Because we need to speak words of edification. We need to speak words that lift up, not tear down. The writer of Psalms says in Psalm 19, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Your words need to be acceptable in the sight of God, but so do your thoughts. If the Holy Spirit is in us, why do we struggle? Why do we struggle so much? Well, it's sin. We still have strongholds of sin in our lives. It hinders us from the fulfilling of the Holy Spirit and our surrender to His working within us. Our obedience to the commands of God is, is the only thing that allows the Holy Spirit to work. I need to be obedient. I need to surrender. I need to be in the Word. And so the Word teaches me and it docks down strongholds in my life. So when we sin, we need to immediately confess it to God, renew our commitment to being led and filled by the Holy Spirit. And if we've hurt someone, we need to confess to them and we need to apologize. And if somebody has hurt us, we need to forgive them even if they don't apologize. Because that bitterness will burn us up and it will come, become a hindrance and a stronghold and a foothold for Satan. I want to make sure we're clear about this. That I do not believe, according to what I read in Scripture, that a true believer in Christ 
can lose the Holy Spirit. Let me say it again. I do not believe that a true believer in Jesus Christ can lose the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us in John 14, 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. True believer. But what happens, I think, sometimes in our lives is that we lose communion with the Holy Spirit. We ignore him. We don't do what he asks. We don't do what we know is right. And we put blocks, we put walls up between us. He never leaves us. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But we lose communion with him. I think this is one reason why Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Can you imagine how many times in your life you've grieved the Holy Spirit? How many times in your life you've, and and believe me, we're all guilty. I'm not pointing fingers at you without pointing fingers at myself. How many times we've been going along and we sin, we let bitterness and sin in our lives. But do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. That doesn't mean just when you're around that person. That means don't don't slander them. Don't gossip about them. If you have a problem with them, go to them and deal with it. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And if anything, knowing this should motivate us to spend time in God's Word so we know and we can learn and we can grow. If you want to have communion with the Holy Spirit, we must be people of the Word. Just to give you a little preview, you, you, do you know all of these false teachings that are coming into the church, you know what the first thing they do? They attack the Bible. Why? It's the Word of God. It's holy. It's true. If they can contact the Word of God and make you doubt the Word of God, they've got you. And that's exactly what these false teachings are doing. God's word must drive our approach to life because the Holy Spirit manifests himself as we respond in faith to the word of God. I love what Isaiah says in Isaiah 66 too. He says, all these things my hand has made. This is God speaking. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this, this is the one to whom I will look. You want to know how to get God's attention? Do you want to know how to be the one that God looks upon? He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do you tremble at the word of God? Do you read God's word and say, wow, I've read that 50 times. And it still sends shivers down my back. These are the very words of God, creator of the universe, who 
molded you in your mother's womb? Do you tremble at his word? He's looking for those of us who hear his word in faith and he will pour his presence into our lives if we are humble and contrite and tremble at his word. Paul is going to go on and he's going to, the, the next thing he's going to ask the Galatian church is, your suffering, did, was your suffering in vain? If, if the Galatian, Galatian believers uh, continue down this path of, of trying to work out their salvation, work out their lives by the flesh, turning to works of the flesh, then all the suffering that they had because the experience, because of their faith in Christ, was for nothing. For nothing. I'm sure that they experienced many challenges being in that culture. Hardships when they came to Christ. The society was not exactly friendly towards faith in Christ. But whatever hardships they experienced really did nothing to hamper God's work in their lives. They were going great. They were, they were still suffering and things were going bad for them. But you know what? It's usually in the times of greatest struggle and trials that the Holy Spirit will work in our lives in powerful ways. See, I don't know about you, but when you're having a guest over to your house, when, you go to, when you're inviting somebody over, you go through and start cleaning, don't you? You're going to have someone over, so you start cleaning, well, unless it's family. You're going to have someone over, you start cleaning. You dust, you mop. Make sure everything's in its right place, and if it's not in its right place, then shove some place in the closet where no one will see it. And you can get it out later. I'm not speaking from experience at all. We take out the trash, even if it's not trash night. <laughs> Clean the kitchen floor, wash the windows, vacuum the whole house, dust the tables and lampshades. And see, sometimes we are tempted to think that that's when the Holy Spirit's going to come into our lives. When we get everything cleaned up, when we, you know, when I stop sinning, then the Holy Spirit will come in. When I, when I get my life where it needs to be, the Holy Spirit will come into me, and then we'll be good. I mean, it's like, I mean, I can't have Him see how dirty my life is. Oh, you foolish Christians! God sees it. He knows it. That's why He's sending the Holy Spirit, because He knows we're a dirty mess. And we need help. We think that he'll only show up when everything in our lives are just right. But the truth is that we may never experience a greater presence of the Holy Spirit than when our lives are a mess. When we're in times of turmoil and trial, that is when the Holy Spirit shows up. our times of greatest difficulty when our lives are messy that God generously supplies the Holy Spirit. Paul learned this the hard way. In 2 Corinthians he says, for the sake of Christ then I am content with weakness, 
insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Now, how many of us could say, you know what, I'm, I'm okay. Now, we can say it. How many of us truly believe that I'm okay with all the troubles I have in my life? I'm okay with it. And I don't mean when everything seems to be going smoothly. I mean when life has fallen apart. Can you say, ah, I'm good. I'm good with what you're doing, God. It's hard. Paul says, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. God loves to show his power to us in the midst of our weaknesses. I mean, you talk to any mature believer and they'll tell you that it was those times in their life where things seemed to be the worst, that that was the time they felt the Holy Spirit the greatest. And they really got to know God better in their weaknesses and in their struggles. That's one of the, one of the false uh, gospels that's being preached today is that, well, if you believe in Jesus, your life should be rosy. God doesn't want you to be poor or sick. If you're sick, then you've got sin in your life and you need to straighten yourself out because you should be rich and you should be healthy. It's a lie. God provides your needs, not your desires. He might sometimes. But... That's not the gospel. That's a false gospel. See, the, the problem is, is, I think many times, I don't know about you, I don't like to admit that I'm weak. I don't like being weak. i got to be strong. i got to be strong for my family. i got to be strong for my church. i got to be strong for my people. Well, my people are all weak too. So guess what? I'm in a good crowd. But I don't like being weak. We want to be strong in our struggling, and in the process we become a hindrance to experiencing the power of God in our lives. I'm not saying that God's going to take it away. What I am saying is that God's going to get you through it. He'll get you through. He always does. He's always faithful. Don't begrudge the difficulties in your life, no matter how big or how small. View them as God's loving design for us. What is God teaching me? What am I learning in this? What am I forgetting in this? Sometimes God tells us, He teaches us things to forget some of the lies that we've been believing. It's not just what we learn, it's what we unlearn sometimes. Because in those times, we got to allow Him to give us more of Himself through the Holy Spirit. It's not easy. Because it takes a lot of surrender and admitting that I can't do this on my own. Paul's next question that he gives the Church of Galatians, verse 5. Does God provide the Holy Spirit in miracles through the law or by hearing in faith? God had provided. Did God give the Holy Spirit by us following the rules? So again, we've checked off the last of the Ten Commandments. We're all good. Now we get the Holy Spirit. No. We got the Holy Spirit before we even checked off the first one. That doesn't mean we don't... <laughs> it's something I remember. It doesn't mean we don't do the, whole, the Ten Commandments, that we don't follow them. They're good. It's just that that's not where our salvation comes from. That's not where our strength comes from. Our strength comes from God. 
Paul's not saying that we, that we can manipulate God or the Holy Spirit by our faith. In fact, the work of the Holy Spirit precedes our faith. Romans 8.28, he says, And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. You know, many times we, we may look at our emotions and our feelings of, of holiness or the absence thereof, and we feel pride or we feel sorrow because we either think we're, we're, so, we're so good at keeping the Ten Commandments and keeping the law, or we're so bad at keeping the law. So we attempt to add works to our lives. Oh, I've got to do better at this. I've got to do better at this. I've got to do better at this. To try to make up for those shortfalls we have in our lives. I mean, isn't that how the world works, right? If you're if you're at work, if you're in your job, and you don't do a job completely, what do you do? You got to try harder the next time. We have to work to clean the kitchen. We have to work to grow our garden. We have to work to raise our kids. Shouldn't we also have to work to clean up our lives? I mean, God, surely he can't love us when we're this dirty, right? And for the umpteenth time that I've sinned and done the, wrong, done the thing I'm not supposed to do, have fallen for us the same temptation, there must be more that we need to do to overcome our shortfalls. And unlike, just like the Galatian church, we begin to give in to the legalist inside of us. The answer is to go back to the gospel over and over again. See, Jesus was crucified for our sins, not just for the ones that I've admitted to, but the ones I have yet not yet done and haven't admitted to yet. He died for our sins. He finished the work on the cross. We have to look away from ourselves for our salvation and righteousness and turn our eyes to the cross of Christ. Yes, we need to repent. We need to stop doing those things, but we'll never be able to do it in our own power. We have to do it through the power of Christ, through the Holy Spirit working in us. We have to surrender. And we have to go back to the gospel again and again and again and again. Don't just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John once. We should be reading it all the time. Don't just read the Old Testament once. We should be reading it all the time. Martin Luther, in his lectures on Romans, he says, to progress is always to begin again. I love that. If you're going to progress, you're going to have to begin again. I have to go back to the basics again. So how did we begin? We began with faith in Christ. We began with faith at the cross. We'll never get to a place in our lives where we can leave the foot of the cross. We won't. We'll always need God's grace. We will never fully understand the depths of the gospel or finish delighting in its truth. We'll always need the gospel. We'll always need to be at the foot of the cross. See, Paul's argument is that we can deny our experiences with the Holy Spirit and the regeneration of our hearts. But if we do that, that's not the gospel. So in reality, we can't deny them. The life-shaping power of the Holy Spirit did not come through works of the flesh, but it came through experiencing the reality of the Holy Spirit as we heard the gospel and we believed in faith. It was and will always be grace from the beginning to the end. 
That's what Paul's trying to tell the church and tell us. Return to the cross. Return to the gospel. Did you get it? By works? No. By faith. You will make it through your trials by faith, not by works. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. We just thank you, Lord, for the grace that you've given us. We thank you for the cross where your son died and said, it is finished. Sin has been paid. Grace is available. Forgiveness is ours. We need to believe. And if we're going to believe, Father, we need to trust and we need to put our faith in you and faith in the Holy Spirit. We need to surrender daily to the will of the Holy Spirit. Temptations will come. Trials will come. But if we keep ourselves firmly planted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, firmly with our feet at the base of the cross, we can make it through the trials. We can defeat temptation. But not on our own. Only with the help of the Holy Spirit. So help us. Because we can't do this without you. Remind us to spend time in the Gospels. To spend time in your words. To spend time in prayer. To spend time with other believers. Encouraging each other. Lifting each other up. Help us, Lord, to take every thought captive and surrender it to you so that every action we take is surrendered to you also. Lord, it's not going to get any easier. The evil one is slipping into the churches today and, and preaching another gospel just like the Judaizers. No different. Same bag, different piece of candy, that's all. And it kills and destroys, which is what his goal is, and separates us from you and from each other. Help us, Lord. We need you more today than ever. Give us strength. Give us, help us to encourage each other to walk the walk from the cross, always feet firmly planted in Christ. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.